Repeat the type with me, please. Say courageous. courageous. Come on, say it again. Say courageous. courageous. Priorities. Priorities. You may be seated. I want to show you a graphic of an of a incident that happened that was amazing. It's this little dog had had a little run-in. <coughs> powerful illustration. Farmer dies saving electrocuted cow. The cow died. The farmer saw his cow laying on the ground, and, his, and the little electrical wire was there wrapped around the cow. Obviously, the cow ran into the electrical wire and died. And so the farmer reaches over to help the electrocuted cow, and he dies. Then the dog dies trying to save the farmer. Everybody say priorities. priorities. It probably would have been better just to wait for somebody to move the electrical wire from the electrocuted cow. Would have saved the man and the dog. Do you really know in your life what you should do and what you shouldn't do? Are you clear about what goes first and what goes second? In our first graphic that we had up, we showed you, we had a little check mark, right? And you had on the first graphic these priority checks where you're checking off, checking off, checking off, right and wrong. One, two, three, four. Say that with me, please. Come on. One, two, three, four. Just put the other, yeah, now, again, this is where you can make an A+. Plus. You ready? Say it again. College students, please say it louder than everybody else, okay? One. I'm not helping you on this one. One more time. You get one more try. Ready? What is it? Hot. One, two, three, four. What goes first? What goes second? What goes third? What goes fourth? If you can figure that out in your life, you'll do better than most. If you can't figure that out in life, you will not do as good as you could in life. There'll be a lot of things that you'll get wrong because you'll think that your friends are more important than your college degree. You will think being in Louvre, because Bubba Louie came along, and he's the best man I ever had in the last six months. And now, all of a sudden, we dating, and we in love, we in college. And he's my man. Ah, that's my woman. And you can forget why you're here. He break up with you, go over to Susie Mae. Now you're mad at Susie May and you got a little wall going on. None of that's important. That's not number one on your list. I've learned that there, the world is designed to distract us. People spend millions of dollars to figure out ways to get your attention. Because they know there's money in getting your attention. That's why you need to know what, say, come on, say one, one two, two is in your life. The study that we're going to do is an eight-week study. It's a pretty long one. It's going to be divided in two volumes, okay? In volume one, which is what we're going to do with the next four weeks, we're going to show you how you establish priorities. How do you know if something is a priority in your life? We're going to talk about all those different ways, and I have a little five little formula that I'm going to give you in just a minute that help you figure that out. The second part, the volume two of this study, uh, will be more specific. We'll talk about Four things, or five things that I think need to absolutely be a priority. I'm going to give you the first one as a hint, way down the road here, okay? You need to have real clear in your mind that your relationship with God is first. And what that means. For a lot of people, they have this real religious view of that, and, and they get it wrong. They think that means singing to God or saying hi to God and all that. It's more than that. We'll talk about that later. But what I call that is God care, and then I have to have personal care. I have to care about me. Those two top priorities are really important, but they're not always what we make the priority. Sometimes you're number eight on the list, number nine, ten, below your children. Par parents say things, and I'm really getting off here a little bit, but parents say things I never say. I'm living for my children. I never say that because I don't. I love my children. These people, you know, you know, you don't know about these people. Let me tell you these people what they do. First of all, they're little. They start off little, real short. And then when they started, they cry a lot, and they didn't you have to take care of them all the time. And then and they grow up, grow up, grow up. And then when they get to a certain age, they start talking to you. And then the little people start talking to you, and they sell kind of things to you, you know. And they, and they point at you, 
Um, <laughs> I was sleeping in the wrong place the other day. My little grandbaby told me, she said, Pop Pops, you sleep in your clothes again? I said, you know what, wait a minute. <laughs> Who's in charge? <laughs> You're three. You'll be talking to me like this. <laughs> but anyway, in this, in this great moment, it was really great. You know, so they grow up in three, three, four, five, ten, and they get to be teenagers. And that's when you know everything. You know, everybody's unwise now because you done got to middle school, high school, and you are the man. You know what I'm saying? You wise. She knows everything. And she's got her own issues because her and her boyfriend aren't getting along. And her nails aren't right. And some woman at some little girl's school don't like her. And I don't like them either. You know, so then you get to college, and now you're pressured because this instructor has the nerve to expect you to work that hard. Does he not know that I have a life? Right? <laughs> they want me to read this whole 200-page book in a few weeks. I have a life. Really. And then they grow up and they go away. And the parents sometimes are standing on the side of the road. And by the time the parents realize that they're out of the house and they gave you back your life, but with giving back your life, your money is gone, your time is gone. And a lot of times, if you're not careful, you spend so much time focusing on them and living through them, vicariously living through them. You don't have a life. You live through them. You no longer have a name. You are the mother of, you don't have a name. And so in the midst of that, before you know it, you've made somebody else a priority and forgotten you. That's a mistake. I love Diane. Who do I love? I ain't kidding you. No, I'm serious. I like that girl now a whole lot. But she can't be my all in all and everything. Because one miserable person plus one happy person is, guess what? How much that equal? Two miserable people. Because the happy person spent all their life trying to make the miserable person happy. You understand? Or if you're not careful, uh, the miserable person gets mad with the happy person because they're always happy. So two happy people equals one happy marriage. So Ricky's happy, Diane's happy. Ricky don't expect Diane to make him happy all the time because she can't. I thought her eyes would do it, but after I seen him for a while, it don't work. <laughs> I look in him enough, especially when she's squinting at me, you know. She got some pretty eyes. She squint them, you know, squint them. Ah, she's cute and all that, but after you look at her for a while, I mean, look, she looked at my handsomeness all these years. She over it by now. You understand? That's <laughs> Some of you say, all right, back up your sermon now. You get lost, preacher. No, I'm making a point. At some point in your life, if you're not careful, you make, if I make her the priority over me and I'm not thinking about me, what am I offering her? I need to fix me up. Come on, say, I need to fix me up. You didn't say it like you mean it. Come on, say, I need to fix me up. So I have something to offer. See, if, I, if I'm all fixed up, if I'm healthy as a pastor, person, Ricky Temple, the guy, okay, if he's okay, I can present an okay guy to you. But if I don't, it's like my whole life is rained on. <laughs> my whole life destroyed. <laughs> See, yeah, I'll, I'll fit it in. I'll fit it in. But, but, you know, there's, there's that thing you, you have to realize, and I think some people don't get that. That's why I don't put you first as a church. If I do, uh, what am I presenting you to me? What, what can I present you? A broken Ricky. So if you got that part, say amen. amen. Today we focus uh, in the series, uh, in the beginning of the series, on one specific word. Everybody say values. If you want to know what your priorities are going to be, look at your values. Your values are the starting place. It's, it's the place that your values are established. So what do, you, what, what do you value? Now, in our series, we remember we started from the beginning of the year. I um, answer one question a year. The question is, what courageous conversation do you need to have that can change your life? What is the one courageous conversation you need to have? And so once you sit down and you have that courageous conversation, Normally, you come up with changes you need to make. Okay, so we've talked. I'm clear. Now we need to make these changes to make things better. Okay? Once we decide what changes we need to make, then thirdly, we need a plan. So everybody say conversation. conversation. Changes. Changes. Plans, right? Plans. So you have a courageous conversation. You can come up with courageous changes you want to make, and now you have courageous plans. 
Once you come with courageous plans, there's a problem, though. You need resources. You need wealth. You need advisors, people, cash. You need a lot of different things to help pull the plans off. No money, no advisors, no, you can't make it work. It's just a conversation you have. But once you get the conversation in place, right, you make the changes, you come with the plans, you have the wealth. Now, here's the problem. If you get all that in your hand but don't have priorities, you will waste the wealth. You will waste it no matter what you said. If you, I see people do this. They start a business and they don't have the right pieces in place. They don't have the right advisors. They don't have the right consultants. And they go into this business with zeal. You can cook what you can't manage. You do not have the right pieces in the right places. So that's a challenge for you. And that's why today I want to talk to you about priorities. But your priorities are best established when you look at your values. Today I want to take you to the book of Esther, chapter 1, and I want to show you the values of this particular young woman. Esther is an incredible study. And what I wanted to do was find a living example of, of a group of people that had to set priorities. I want to show you what priorities can do to you. I want to show you what priorities, how they can help you and how they can hurt you. And uh, the Bible is full of these incredible stories that show this. But let me first define priorities for you. Think of the root word prior, P-R-I-O-R, prior, priorities. Think of that word. The idea that something goes before something else. It is what takes precedence. Think of the word rank or position. Think of what is, is at the top of your important list in your life. It's what you in your life, say, comes first. That's your priority. Now, in order for you, my friend, to get to where you want to be, in order for this to happen, in order for you to establish priorities, you have to have what I call, repeat this with me, please, say non-negotiable life rules. Non-negotiable life rules and values. You have to say, this is it. Non-negotiable. Not going to change this, no matter what. There are five questions that will help you identify your priorities. These are five simple questions that will help you identify what you, what you really define as a priority. And this is so important because sometimes people say, I know what my priorities are. Not really. Sometimes you, if you, until, you, until you look at what you do, what you do tells me your priorities, not what you say, what you do every day. So here's some questions that can kind of help you figure out what your priorities are. First of all, what are your definitions? Say that with me, please. Come on. What are your definitions? A definition is interesting. How do you determine if something is important to you? How do you determine what a priority is? If I want to know what your if I want to know what you define as a priority, um, I can watch, for example, the way you preach. If preaching to you is by definition motivating and inspiring people, every sermon will be about motivating and exciting you. Come on, say amen. Talk to me, somebody. I'm telling you right now, God is a good God. Nothing wrong with that, but I'm just, that's what I define as preaching. So I, I approach preaching that way. If, if, if you look at what I do, I don't define preaching that way. I define preaching as educating people. I define this as a teaching responsibility. I'm an educator called by God to teach you the word. Hopefully I'm not boring, but the goal is to educate you so that when you leave, you have learned something. Jesus was a teacher. There is no music behind Jesus when he's teaching. There is no church service. They're, in no, they're outside most of the time. And there's only 12 guys listening most of the time. There's not what you have here. There are no lights, no cameras, no streaming, no nothing. They didn't even take an offering, just to be honest. None of that happened. All that is created after post. And it's right. There's nothing wrong with it because there had to be an evolution of church. So I want you to understand the power of priorities. So look at how you define love. For example, for some people, love means we fight every now and then. And I cuss you every now and then. And you cuss me and we make up. That's what love is. Everybody you date, you cuss a little bit. You fight a little bit. You sleep together. That's what love is. I love this wonderful conversation I had with this wonderful person. And she said, I don't think we're in love until we have sex. Excuse me for saying that in church. But, I, you know, well, anyway, get over it. But anyway, there's, there's this, there, there, that's, that's her definition. That's her, and that was a wonderful and honest comment. That's my, I don't think, Pastor, until we do that, I don't think we're in love. I don't think we're in a relationship. 
That's how I steal the relationship. There's something courageous about admitting that. Look at what you do that defines relationship. That's how you define it. That's why when you call, fall in love, listen, wait for the definitions to become clear. Some people in their mind, love means I don't work. <laughs> love means you provide for me. Some people will say, pause, carefully said, I'm going to get in trouble here a little bit. But a lot of women, not all, there's some who say, I'm looking for a man who got a good job, who got some money. Don't bring me a broke man. Now, if a man say that, we got a problem with him. I'm looking for a woman who's got a good job, who got some money. Oh, you okay with it? one, not the other, right? Uh, I want to hear you talk about that. Because you define the role of a man as being the guy with the money. See, and if you're not careful, some guys have that definition about women. They think that the woman should be the one who carries this, all the everything. So it, 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 how do you define things? How I define things affects how I pastor, how I lead my home, how I deal with my children. Uh, it, it, my definitions are important, and I need to get off that. Number two, uh, what are your values? What's your non-negotiable life rule? Non-negotiable. This is not going to change. I'm not going to do that no matter what. This is it. This is it. This is it. You can see one of my values is your time. You will be out of here. Count on it. You'll be out of here rolling out this door in a few minutes. <laughs> Within 45 minutes, you're going to be out this door in Jesus' name. Maybe long, maybe, maybe an hour and 45 now. <laughs> no, 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 really. About there around, there about. Why? Because I value your time. I don't define church as something that says you stay and you don't know when I'm going to finish. But if I define preaching that way, that means I keep you kind of, you know, kind of, okay, you don't know. Might be 40, might be an hour, might be, you know, you ever fall asleep after the guy preaching and he's still preaching, wake up, he's still talking? Lord Jesus. Come on. Say, something said, what are your definitions? Come on, talk to me. Come on, work with me now. Because what are your definitions? What are your values? Here's another one. Say, what are your goals? That's next week. Exactly what are you working towards is the question. What are you working towards? If you don't know your goals, how do you set priorities? And if you don't know your timetable, that's the next question. What are your timetable? For example, if I don't know how long I have, I can't set a priority. Let's, let's, let's try it this way. Let's pretend I want to go from Savannah, Georgia to Orlando, Florida, four hours and some change thereabouts. If I want to go from here to there, and I want to get there in four hours from now, let's say five hours to make it fun, what are my options to get there? How can I get there? Drive? What other options do I have? Fly? Okay, what other options do I have? Bus? Okay. Train? Okay. How about bicycle? No? No? Bicycle. Even if you pedal fast, can't? No. You know, you're not going to make it. One little kid in the last service, he said, uh, uh, that, that you can't stop for the bathroom. And I said, yeah, okay, thank you. you you're really with me. That's right. <laughs> his point was, his point, he raised his hand. He said, you, uh, you can go fast, but you can't stop for the bathroom. I thought that was so cute. I said, I said you're right, dude. You're, you, you get, you, you, his point was, he got what I was saying, is speed. Speed. There's a sermon series I'm going to do later on, probably the first of the year. It's called The Speed of Success. Say that with me, please. Go on. The speed of success. Some of us are going too slow. Your, your response time is too slow for God to do much more in your life. The way you respond to strife, tension, you let things go on too long, <clears throat> your response is just too slow. Your marriage won't make it because your, your change of responses are too slow. Things are just too slow. It just takes too long. And sometimes people can't wait on you. Not really. Don't, that's another sermon. Not, we're not there yet. Stay focused. What are your goals? Trying to get from here to Orlando. So we can't walk. We can't ride a bike. We have to do that. And that's how we set priorities. I know I have to be there by a certain time. So based on that, I have purchased tickets, plane tickets in advance. I have rented cars. All that's in advance. So I know what I need to do in order to be where I need to be this week. All of us planned ahead. 
do you have a clear sense of where you're trying to go? And do you have a clear sense of how long you have? That's how you set priorities, but that's next week. Finally, we'll talk about this. Results. Everybody say results. results. What are your current results? Look at your current results and ask yourself the question. Have my past priorities worked? The things I've invested in, the things I've done before now, did I try real hard but didn't succeed? And if that, if that happened, if I tried really, really hard and I didn't succeed, okay, maybe my priorities were wrong. Maybe that's the problem. Or there could be a bigger issue. You ready? Here's the bigger issue. The bigger issue could be I don't know how to judge my results. In our church, for example, a pastor would define success as having every seat filled. That is no longer true. Because there are thousands here, and there's thousands watching at home, and there are thousands who will come on demand and watch it. So there are 4,000 or so people in a week that will watch what we do. So I cannot judge success by one, one moment. I can't even judge success by the size of the offering. Because it used to be that whatever they gave on Sunday was it. That's why the deacon would always stand there and say, okay, y'all can't leave yet. Because he knew he's not going to see you for a while. So he had this, we need another $400. I know somebody got that money. I know that, that's why they did that, because they had to. With us, 60% of our income is outside the building. So it's not judged by what happens just on Sunday. But it's all good when y'all give on Sunday. How about they better that, right? But you understand the point. It's different. I have to think differently. I have to broaden my mind. And so sometimes you will judge your results as a parent by one season and not by the whole. You, 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 you don't, you're, you're setting priorities because you don't understand your results. So now my priorities are set because I, look at, I take a broader look at my results. I don't just look at one week or one day. I just look at the month, the year, and I start understanding that, for example, we, we're touching a lot of people. 8,700 people came to our special events last year outside of the building. It's amazing. Isn't that a big deal? Did I have your clap? 8,700 people came. You see? So we touch thousands of people in all kinds of ways, not just on Sunday morning, online. We have a lot of different options. And so I have to make sure when I look at my results and if I say I don't like them, I make sure I judge them properly. Some of you are judging your finances by today's seasons. College students do this all the time. This is your broke season. Embrace it. <laughs> this is the season you don't have that much food. That's why we're feeding you after church, because you're always hungry people. How about an amen to that? But that's what we're supposed to do. That's the season that we should provide those things for you, because you're in a season when you need support. You're not supposed to be rich right now. Is that all right? How about an amen? amen? Come on, college students. Talk to me. Amen. amen. Let me see my college students. Raise your hands up high. Raise your hands. Father, prosper them in the future in Jesus' name. Help them make it right now. Amen. Because come on, you're in the make it season. So you got to learn how to judge results, but that's another sermon as well. Now, let me, if I can, go back to where we started today and take you down a road where I talk about two people, two, three, three, three people. King Assyria, say his name, come on. Mordecai and Esther, three people. In the book of Esther, we start out with a story about how this king, Assyrius, how he lined up his priorities. We look at his values to determine that. Look with me and notice in, in, in uh, Exodus, Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Now, there is an error. I'll, I'll correct for you in just a minute. It came to pass in the days of Assyrius that was Assyrius who reigned over 127 provinces from India to where? Ethiopia. This guy has a wide range of leadership. In those days when King Assyrius sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the year of his reign, he made a feast for all of his officials and servants, the power of Persia and Media, Mede, and the nobles and the princesses of the provinces before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty. In other words, he's showing off all his stuff, and he takes, look at this now, many days to do it. 180 days, not 108 as I have in your notes. Ignore that error. I'm sorry. I was feeling good that day. 180, not 108, not 3.6 months, but six months. This guy spent six months partying, showing off his stuff. Here's what that showed you. The king valued his possessions. He wanted everybody to see them. That was really important to him. Secondly, he not only valued his possessions, he valued his wife. Watch what he valued. 
He valued the beauty of his wife more than he valued her honor and dignity. Look at verse 10 of chapter 1 of Esther. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he's high, <laughs> he commanded Mamukin. Now, there's some other guys named, but they're not really important guys. They're not mentioned. There are other eunuchs, but Mamukin is the guy who's like the lead dude, the head guy. He's talked about the most. There were all seven eunuchs. All these guys who served in the presence of the king, Assyrius, verse 11. He told them in verse 11 of chapter 1 to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown. I want you to go get my woman. I want everybody to see her. She fine. Y'all ain't saying nothing to see my woman. So he's all drunk up, and so he sends for Vashti, and then this incredible thing happens in verse 12. Vashti refused to go. So watch this now. He values alcohol, helps push this along now. His wife's beauty, and he values her alcohol and her beauty more than her dignity. And she refused. Now, you can argue she should have gone, should have gone, whatever, but she doesn't. So what happens next? The Bible says at the bottom of verse 12, he became furious and anger burned within him. He was out of control, mad, but he's still high. Alcohol still talking. So the king, in the middle of this moment, shows another of his values. He values his possessions. He values the beauty of his wife. I'm sorry, he values all of that more than he does her dignity. And he also values the advice of those around him. His friends have more influence than anybody. So he calls together his wise men. And then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, and he listed them again. And then they said, they said basically, verse 15, what shall we do to Vashti? According to the law, because she did not obey the command of the king. When you told her to be brought before you. So Mamukin, there he is again, speaking up, verse 16, before the king and princesses. Queen Vashti, here's what here's Mamukin said. Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princesses and all the people that were in the province. She's not only offended all of us in Chatham County, but she's offended everybody. Everybody in all of Georgia. Not on Georgia, she's offended everybody in the United States of America. Matter of fact, all the women in the world have been polluted because she wouldn't come. See, that's what he's saying. <laughs> if you read the rest of the story in the book, he's just going out of control. And so he listens to him. And all the other guys are going, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Do you value your friends more than you do your family? Their advice, their input, well, watch what happens. Here are the results, the results of this. His marriage was destroyed. They convinced the king to divorce her without giving her a voice. She was not allowed to tell her side. Verse 19 of chapter 1 says, If it pleased the king, let a loyal decree go out, let a royal decree rather go out from him, and let it be result, recorded in the laws of the Persians. And the Medes, so that it will not be allowed, altered, that Vashti, listen carefully now, shall no more, uh, shall come no more before King Azurius. Ban her. You won't see her face again. Let her go off into the closet someplace. And let the king give her royal position to another. Fire her. Find another who is better than she. All because, all because, all because, all because. She wouldn't come out and put a crown on her head and be gawked at by a bunch of drunk men. Now, what's interesting, if you go to chapter 2, he sobers up. It's amazing how <laughs> when you're high, you, can, you can't see things. You, you, know, you know, some of you who drink, look at me. For a look at the preacher. Pay attention, pay attention. Look up now. Don't look away. You need to know your sober self and your drunk self. You need to film yourself when you're drunk so you can introduce yourself to the high you and the sober you. You need to meet, watch this now, the angry you and the calm you. You need to tape yourself when you're cussing and yelling like that. Cut, cut, cut it on. Don't cut it on live now. It's recorded for you to watch so you can see exactly how you act and live. 
Side note, one of the things about my life is I'm always filmed. Can you tell? I'm always being taped. So there are two Rickies. Everybody hold your finger up. Say two Rickies. Most of the guys that I know that I mentor who are pastors, they never listen to their sermons. And I always teach them. I said, you need to listen to them so you can know what you're putting people through. <laughs> it helps you. Honest to God, if you're going to be a public speaker, you should listen to yourself. And here's, here's what you learn. There is this Ricky in here, okay? And then there's that Ricky up there. I need to know both of them. It will help me be a better Ricky. You need to know all of you. I believe in journaling because it helps you know you. When you're mad, write it up. You're the stupidest, that dumb, just write it down. Cuss words and all. Put them all in there. There you go. And then a week later, read it. See what people put up with. Write the meanest things you say to people on paper. If you could take a couple of pictures of your face, too, just take a couple of pictures. <laughs> Bam, there you go. What did you say to me? Say that to me again. I'll slap you to the other side of the room. There you go. Put the click. There you go. Say, hold on, baby. Let's tape that. Let's tape it. Let's tape that. You want to see that live next time. you scare yourself. I know somebody pulled a gun on his wife. A couple people. I know a few people did that. And uh, Pastor, I don't know why she upset. You know? <laughs> I know some women who went and got, got a pistol too now. Ain't just a man. Man nervous. Every time she go to the room, he look at her. <laughs> you need to know both sides of yourself. Say amen if you hear me. So now he's sober, and uh, he regretted his decision. Chapter 2 says, watch this now, after these days when the wrath of the king of Shuris subsided, he remembered Vashti. We're sober now, see? What she had done and what he had decreed against her. But now he's destroyed her life options, because he can't change it because of the law. He can't change it. And he's destroyed their marriage. He can't do anything. Now, all that's because of a moment. You'd be surprised. Now, here's where your note's going to change a little bit, okay? I made some changes. My first preacher said I didn't like it. That was a horrible sermon. But I've changed my mind. I like it now. Here's what's missing in your notes. You ready? Mordecai, okay, in chapter 2 of verse 17 is introduced. After Vashti, okay, after Vashti is cast aside, they go looking for a new woman, a new wife. Now, they're going to find a woman named Esther. Getcha, this is, this is kicker, follow me closely. Who was raised by Mordecai. Mordecai was the guy who took in his cousin whose mother and father died. Look at chapter 2 if you have a Bible, verse 17. If you don't, just read along with me. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. This is the woman he chose, okay, after Vashti. And she obtained grace and favor uh, in his sight, more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the Feast of Esther, he called it, for all his officials and servants. And he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. So now you have this woman who is now incredibly so, the one who is now queen. But what's powerful is she was raised by a guy. Imagine this. If you look in your notes, the guy's name was Mordecai. Can you say his name, please? Mordecai, Mordecai if you notice, and I think I have it in your notes this way. Mordecai's the guy who had three things that he valued. We're not going to talk about all three today. Here's the three things. Come on. Say, he valued Esther. He valued the king. And he valued his people. Now, look at this now. I want you to go to chapter 2, okay? And you notice right there, verse 5. Here's this description of their relationship. It says, In Shushan the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away. Listen carefully. This is the great-grandfather. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem 
with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai brought up Hadassah, which was Esther, his uncle's daughter. Read this with me, please. For she had neither what? Father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Amazing. How could a guy raise a woman who would become a queen? I was your parents say, you can't do it unless you have a man or a woman you know, in the house. I can, no, no, no. Just ask this question. How in the world did he do that? He treated her like a daughter, never abused her. So, and, you know, this is the journey for guys raising a girl. You've know, you got to teach her stuff. Okay, uh, your hair. Okay, that's a start right there. That's, <laughs> we got, got to learn how to do hair because she's little. You know, little girls talk. Ouch! Little girls talk to you, you know. They do. You can't just touch them. Um, then, uh, so if you, you got hair to do, he's got a lot of questions. Little girls talk to you. They ask you a lot of questions. A lot of times, God, go ask your mama. You know, but this is a guy. And then she's got seasons. Her body's changing. And she got questions. So what's, I'm feeling something. What, what, what you feeling? <laughs> but Mordecai explained it. Had to. He, he was raising her. He's there to guide her through all those different seasons of her life. What an amazing story. And what's really amazing is this woman, Esther, she's got these really cool guys in her life. She's got... They name them, Jer, Shemaiah, Kish. I mean, can you, can you come up with a faithful list of men in your family? Can you, do you have a list of guys, you know, that you can name? One guy that would do this? A cousin? Not an uncle, not a nephew. A cousin who would take you in and do this. Oh, it's amazing. He shows his values. Now, I'm really through. I'm really through because the rest I'm going to save for later. I'm going to talk about how he valued the king. And I'm going to talk about how he valued his people a little bit later. I'm going to save that. Go down to the bottom. Let me give you, if I can, a closing thought. Your priorities will show up in the things and the people you value. Your priorities will show up. He valued the king. He honored the king in ways that was amazing, even though he was a slave. He wasn't free. He was a guy who honored, his, honored Esther. He thought about her. Now, next week I'm going to pick up and talk about, as I told you, goals. Because your definitions determine how you see things. Your values determine what you invest in. But your goals determine what should be your priorities. I want to show you the goal that Mordecai had. And I also want to show you a new guy. His name is Haman. Haman had some goals that were a little bit off. And his goals were motivated by something that is amazing. It causes tremendous conflict. So we're going to see the goals of Haman compared to the goals of Mordecai. We're going to see them collide. And I'm going to show you why they collided. And I want to show you how it all changed. But what I want you to see is the power of your goals. Now, I ended uh, this, I want to end this with something that came to me. This is one of the thoughts I had. I was praying about the sermon, right? And I was in the mirror getting dressed one day, and I was kind of, you know, checking myself out, you know? And then I, and I had this thought, I, like, you know, you, you repeat it with me, please, number one. Say, you look like, you look like what you do first. What you do first. Mm. So I was tucking it in while I was checking everything out. It came to me. You look like what you do first. So if you don't like what you look like, do something else first. You sound like what you read. You live in the harvest you planted. You're limited by your willingness to set priorities. Your life will never change. And I looked in that mirror. If you want to change anything, you got to set priorities. This is the day I take care of my hair. This is the time I do this. This is the time because I want a different result. And lastly, your priorities are ultimately controlled by you, not God. 
your life. That's why this series is so important to me. Because I've learned that once I set in my mind, these are the things I want for me. I've set some new goals and some new priorities. I'll give you one. I'll give you a hint. I'm going back to school. Are you surprised? I am. I'm going back. I am. I am going back. There's a doctoral, there's a doctoral program I want, to, I want to participate in I really like. I'm already registered. I'm already in. I already got my little portal. portal. Ha, ha, ha. I'm in. I'm rolling. I'm rolling. I am rolling. At 60 years old, I'm going forward. Everybody say amen. amen. I got some new goals, some new objectives, some new priorities, some things I'm working on. I'm not just preaching to you. You are just listening to me preach to myself. Amen. A friend of mine said that. that I thought it was really cool. I am, I am so committed to making sure that my life has goals. And so what are those goals? And what am I trying to do? Tune in next week and I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm done for the day. Can I pray with you? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you for the power and the courage to set priorities. All of us in here have the power to make a decision. A decision that can change everything. Everything. We can, we can start today with a new set of goals. Instead of being frustrated about what's in the mirror, we can say, let's change what we do first. Let's just change this around a little bit. If I don't, if I don't like my current harvest, I can set new priorities rather than living my life complaining. Open your eyes. Can, can I ask you a question? How long have you complained? About something in your life? I'll continue to print in a second, but uh, you've been talking to God about your money for how long? Something you don't like physically? You were talking about it for how long? Depressed over it? How long? Just curious. How long have you been saying this? Father, maybe we shouldn't keep talking to you about the bug on the floor and how you hate seeing the bug on the floor. Maybe we should get a broom, sweep up the bug. Like now. Or at least at a timetable. We're tired of seeing the bug on the floor. Instead of asking you, what are you going to do about the bug on the floor? And we own a broom. Why don't we sweep it up? Why don't we change our attitude? We don't have any friends. Instead of asking you, why don't we act friendlier? Why don't we try something different? Can you say that with me, please, church? Try something. One more time. Come on, church. Join me now. Try something different. See, even if you couldn't say that, so you can't even participate, it's easy, right? Right? You can just say that in this prayer. Come on, say, try, try something, something different. different. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to try something different. Help us to set new goals, new priorities, burn with a new fire. Help us, Lord God, to ignite a flame. Ignite a fire in us. To not wait for some man to come and save us from our miserable life. Or some woman to come and save us from our troubled existence. Lord, help us to stop blaming our father who may even be dead or our mother or whoever it was, our brothers or our family, that family doesn't love me and that's why I'm miserable. No, you're miserable because you made them a priority and not yourself. You're miserable because you won't change. You won't let God fix your life. made alcohol your priority. You've made your stuff your priority. You've made your friends your priority. And you've forgotten you. Father, help us today. A happy Ricky and a happy Diane equals a happy life. Happy me and a happy children make a happy family. 
cannot put the burden of this on somebody else. I must embrace this as my job description. Hands lifted, please. Father, today I, I speak over your people a new way of approaching life. They will leave here without assuming it's somebody else's responsibility, without assuming that it's somebody else's fault. They will take charge of their life and they will make it happen. They will no longer blame anybody else in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you think I come from a rich family? Do you think I come from a family that had a lot of money? Do you think I come from a family that had everything right? Do you think that I was, I was raised by a single parent in a small house on a small budget with hardly no money? That she just never made me feel poor. We rode the bus till I was 15. We had to ask people to take us places. Well, really didn't. We used to just ride the bus. When we wanted to go get groceries, we'd take the little cart and roll it behind me. We did not have a washer and a dryer. We would go until all my life. We went to the to wash interior. All my life. Always had chains, sat there, washed and dried everything, knew everybody in the place because everybody came. That's how I grew up. I learned how to use a scrub board. Anybody know what that looked like? That's why when I'm in the hotels and something, I need to wash something, I'm rolling. Pull the little wrench string out, you know, in the bathtub to keep it in the bathtub. Brother can wash his own clothes. Yes, I can, because my mama said, you may not have somebody here to help you, so I don't need you to be a trifling man. I need you to be able to take care of yourself. Save some money, son. Don't live in the circle. I can see that little hand now. Don't live in the circle. And she would name people in my family who lived in the circle. Every day I get up and put my shirt in my pants and shine my shoes. I think about that woman. Had one project, me. I dare you blame another person for your state of life. Here's what you do. You ready? Mess up the cameras if I take this jacket off, but it's okay. Because it's a white shirt, but just to pretend for a minute. Step over them. Daddy, I love you, but I cannot dwell on what you did not do for me. Family, I love you, but I cannot dwell on what you did not do for me. I cannot dwell on what this company will not pay me. I will not, I will not, I will not blame anybody else. I'm going to set new priorities, new goals. I'm going to shock people because I'm going to be so focused on my priorities one by one. I'm going to check them off and watch God bless my life. Can I get an amen to that? Come on. I'm going to watch God bless my life. Woo, my goodness, my goodness. Woo, my goodness, my goodness. I watch him do things for me. I watch him do things for me. I watch favor fall on me. Oh, my wife can tell you about it. My daughter can tell you. Oh, I watch him. Just bless me. All I got to do is walk with him. Step over stuff. Get over stuff. Stop complaining about stuff. Stop talking about that. That's why some of you are so depressed. The news now, they just make you sick. You watch too much of it. I watch enough to know, and then I cut it off, and I say, I will not rent my brain space out to that again. I'm not going to sit here for five hours and watch the news over and over and over again. Because all this is a season. It's going to be gone in a minute. Come on, say amen, right? You've got to learn how to go forward in your life. And you will scare people. Watch me now. You're going to lose a few friends because unfocused people try to unfocus you. When you get focused and you say, listen, I'm not going out. I got a test tomorrow. Why would I? Do? Why would you even ask me? Why would you? Don't you know how much it costs to be here? Why would you ask me? Why would you ask me? Baby, what we're going to do tonight? What we're going to do? Oh, what we're going to do? Let's talk about it. Come here. What do you mean? What we're going to do? You're such a priority in my life. Well, you know, I got needs and every now and then, you know what I'm saying? You should just look at them and say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you have $230,000? <laughs> if something go wrong, that's what this going to cost us. 
nine months and $230,000. So and do you understand that I'm also going to have to probably drop out of school? Do you have to make up this? Can you make up the gap? You got, that's two college. Can, you can't. Well, let's hold off for a second. There's plenty of time for that, right? But you understand, if I let this five-minute moment happen, sometimes that's all it is, five-minute, five-minute moment. <laughs> so you say, no, okay, all right. I ain't going to argue with you, but you understand my point. You can't afford to be this unsmart, excuse me for making up a word. You can't do this. I'm not going to ask you to testify, but there are women in here that can tell you. I wish somebody had told me this. Father, we lift our hands to you. We understand the importance of priorities today. We settle in our minds and hearts that we will not allow this to be our future. Oh, God, I give you glory and I give you praise. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus who died for us, who made us a priority, who gave his life to save us. Now we need to set our priorities in the right place. With every hand down for a minute, every head bowed. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, after hearing this message, I get it. I realize, Pastor Rick, that I need to make Jesus the priority of my life. And I want you to pray for me because he has not been. You may be a good person. You may be a sincere person. But he has not been the priority in your life. And you know it. So let me pray with you today. Leave out of here with a clear conscience. And know, okay, I, I, I started on the right track today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want me to pray for you because you want to give your life to Christ, you want to say, I need to get my life going in the right direction spiritually, Pastor. I'm going to make God first and then me second. I'm going to get my priorities right. Raise your hand if you're saying that's me. I want you to pray for me. I see one. Do I see anybody else? I see two. Where are you at? Three. Come on, commit your life. Four, five. Be bold. Six. Make, come on, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Come on. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seven, eighteen. All right, anybody else? I'm waiting for you. Nineteen. I'm waiting for you. Anybody else? Be bold. Take chart twenty. Twenty-one. 22. I'm looking for you. Anybody else? 23. 20, any, 24. I see you. Anybody else? I'm waiting for you to make a decision for your life. Your life. 26. There you go. Father, bless those who are here. 27. And those who are home, let this be the time that they say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to put me first today. I'm going to make a decision that will get my life going in the right direction. Every hand lifted, please. Father, we speak blessing over your people's lives today. We pray they'll leave your chains and inspired. May they not be the same. I know you love them. I know you care. And I believe, Lord God, that your power will be with them. And they will rise up and make a difference in the world. They'll serve you with fire and passion. And they'll put their priorities in the right place. These are people, Lord God, who are changing. These are people that are going to make a difference in the world. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. Can we give God a big hand clap for everything that's happened today? It's been a great time. Thank you so much for coming.